Welcome to the Movements Podcast. I'm Steve Addison. We'll be hearing from Jeff Sundell today on movement leadership. He'll refer to SCs or strategy coordinators, somebody who takes responsibility to fuel a church planting movement. He'll refer to a handout on effective SCs, which will link to the blog at movements.net backslash blog. Uh, and also make available uh, linked to this podcast. Hope you enjoy the program. It says effective SC core competence. Don't worry about that. What y'all are doing, uh, SC is just a word for what we're doing. It's what we call, you got to call the guy something. So the IMB, we call him SC. But just to give you an idea where this came from, we, we had like Bill Smith and myself and Steve Smith and uh, David Watson and a whole boatload of folks. Sitting in a room looking at 176 movements, and as we were looking at those movements, we were trying to describe what do the people look like that lead these movements. So we, we were trying to look at scripture, we were trying to look at experience, we were trying to sort of profile what do these folks look like, and not just Anglos, most of these would have been profiled from white nationals from India, from China from various places around the world, South America, wherever it may be. That's a relief. And then us also, but this was just sort of looking overall, trying to get a... National, like leaders from... Like a national in India, but it'd be the same here. You know, what would a, what would a local leader look like here? And this was just all of us pretty much, there's about 30 or 40 of us, this is sort of what we came up with, trying to describe what's this guy look like. Um... Because we got to have methodologies, we got to have processes, but there's also things you learn about this guy, and from just looking at all these movements. And uh, so, anyhow, I, I think it's a worthwhile exercise. So, I, I want you just to start. You guys start with head, heart, hands, house. And I guess I want you to start. Just read it out loud, discuss it, and then as rapidly as you can, start moving through the next parts, and discuss it, and sort of, you, you, you understand process, obviously, because you, you know, look back here, so there, there's things happening, God's doing things, um, you're understanding definitely how to share your story, share Jesus' story, people come to Christ, discipleship, moving into church formation in numerous, numerous places, we're looking for a consistent second, third, fourth, fifth generation. So you have all that experience under your belt when you think about that, which is awesome. But now we're going to sort of take a look at this snapshot and overlay it with what you already know. And then just start talking about what's it going to take to consistently get to third, fourth, fifth generation. If you start thinking about what did I learn? Hey, here's a mistake I made. What did I learn from that? Now I look at this. So what do you, what can you pull one, learn from this, learn from your experience, and then what do we need to do to get consistent third, fourth, fifth generation in the next several years? All right? Is that clear as mud? No. Uh, no. Are you saying understand this document section by section, mm-hmm. make sure we understand it, discuss it, and then ask how does this, the understanding here, apply to us getting to third and fifth generation? But also based on your experience. It's a gap analysis, really, isn't it? You, Where am I now? Where should I be? What's missing? How do I get there? Mm-hmm. Is that it? It's just a quick snapshot of looking. Here's a guy. Here's a guy we've seen who's gotten the movements. Yeah. Okay. Here's your experience. Here's what we've seen. 
and gap analysis might be a good way to state it, but what, what could I learn from this that speaks to me about third to fifth generation? Yeah. Okay. And then you guys, you know, you're obviously on the practitioner side, we got the four fields, what we're doing, we got the 30,000 foot view, we got the process, one third, one third, one third down. Now, how do we, what do we need to do personally to keep moving to third to fifth generation? Um, I think it's a pretty good document, in my opinion. So it's a bit of an overview, but I think you'll, I think you'll see a lot of things in there. And again, I want you to really think about your personal experience, the processes you've learned, the what we experienced here. You're looking at thirty thousand foot. You're looking at the four fields where you're at. Now we're just sort of getting to lay over a profile of something where we said, hey, we looked at 176 movements in general. You know, trying to look at, you know, of course, scripture, making sure we're biblical, but then also just sort of, hey, what do these guys look like? What are some things you learn? And in mind, you're trying to say, what's going to get us to third to fifth generation? Now, this doesn't mean every single guy who's leading a house church is going to look like this. We're just talking about the guys that push, guys and girls that push the front ends of movements. Because we need lots of movements for Australia, New Zealand, India, America. We don't need one movement. We need many movements. So, what did you what did you learn from your past this week and this? What are some things and that are going to get us to third to fifth? What were some of the I guess gap analysis is a good way to put it. Right. Well, that sounds right. But being more flexible, um, prayerfully looking at material and seeing things that are better to see us to do that. Okay, adapt material to the context. So the average. And I'm going to add a little bit to that. So the average person in my community has the potential, the material, the content, or the process can reproduce through the average person in my community. That's got to be in my mind's eye. What do they look like? Not what do I look like. What do they look like? Um, good. Because uh, I'm not sure. You guys are a lot brighter than we are. But our average city, 50% of people are semi-literate in America. Who graduated high school. Isn't that pretty sad? Kansas City, 67%. So if I go with a highly formed uh, material, you know, literate form, I'm, I'm dead in the water. So I got to think, and even though you'd come in assuming, but that's not the fact, at least in our scenario. But don't be true. We, you know, we've all hung out in the church where the education in Australia is a lot higher than in rural communities. So adapt material to the average person in the community you're trying to reach. Don't get bogged down and not so that that no versus yes, um, hard, hard decisions right there, you know. So making decisions, what do I do with this guy? You know, I think uh, I think Tim was sharing about I think it was Tim sharing about the exercise Bill did with you. Know, I've seen Steve do it where you got the red, yellow, green. Um, I don't remember what the other color blue, was. Blue. blue. You know, and, and sometimes we get stuck. I think it's bragging on Bob because Bob really handled the red handled the red guy well and encouraged him, loved on him, but then really put the focus. You know, so we need to love those folks, but yeah, we do we do need to we need to multiply. So if I call that focus on the fruitful people, is that yeah, is that and I'm stay the same thing. Focus on multiplying. Isn't it? Parable of talents. Mm -hmm. It's funny how all that stuff fits in in scripture. 
it's a dogged tenacity required. Yeah. And I like this, these are not teachable people. Mm. They're not compliant people. But there's a strong sense of authority from God to get this done. So they're not saying, well, I don't have permission or he's going to pay me. They just <coughs> have a sense, this is God's call. I'm going to do it. And I've got to learn and change whatever it takes to make it happen. So there's a deep sense of responsibility and honor us along. Yeah, tenacity, uh, dogged tenacity, fixed on the vision. Um, and now I, I, you know, and they're, and we're careful, they, they are definitely learners. If, if something yeah. new comes, they're, they'll throw it out for the better thing that leads to multiplication. They're, they're learners, but you, you can't tell them much. You know, so you're, I mean, just in a sense, I don't, I'm trying to think how you say it nicely. They're, some of these guys are really hard to get along with because yeah. they're so focused. It's just sometimes yeah. you just can't get them. They got tunnel visions the way I look at them. All they see is the tunnel and the end of the tunnel, and it doesn't matter what else is coming unless they find something that will get them quicker through the tunnel. They could be great. Like, Bill is like a he is. gracious. Yeah. But they're not all, they're not not all, all that way. Gracious. You're gracious, Bill. Bill's Bill's been good to me. I I work with a couple guys who they would offend you with every other word they say. Because they're just going to tell you what they think. They'll go, that's stupid. That will not get to CTM. What's the matter with you, Tim? I took one of the guys with me to a training, and that's really the way he is. Now, I had this called timeout. We don't assassinate, and I had, I had a little discussion. You don't assassinate people's character in public at all, period. And, you know, rephrase that. You know, be gracious the way you, you know. We know what you mean, but. Yeah, you know, you can't say everything that comes to your brain. He's just got bad brain gas. You know what I mean? So. Just for observation, Bill confessed that he was, you know, he, he lived in the army. He was a hard-nosed army guy. to change. Right. Um, it, I think they'll get a bigger voice if they'll change, but it is, it's, it's tenacity. Yeah. It's tunnel vision. And I'm just, wanting, I'm just saying, you need to understand that, because sometimes you're going to run into somebody, and what you've got to do is, it's a bit of protecting them. You know, you're, you're, yeah. you got this guy, he's tenacious, or this girl, and she's tenacious, she's following what she's doing, and your job sometimes is to protect them, to be a buffer. Because um, you don't want somebody killing them, you know. And, yeah. and then I just to give you an example. Somebody wrote something really bad about this guy I'm talking about, and he takes things very personally. And I just said, quit looking at the blogs. Mm. Don't look at blogs. <coughs> keep focused on what you're doing. Why are you looking at the blogs? Don't respond to that. You know what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing, training people, trusting God. Don't worry about that mess. So I, I don't, you know, I personally don't read blogs, you know, other than Steve's, you know. But I just know you don't you don't want to get you can get sidetracked by things like this. I don't read a lot of other books. You know, I, I've read Steve's. That's Steve's and T for T. I read the Bible. You know, I just have gotten to where I don't. I'm I'm just sort of you know. 
you know, see, see, part of this, the four decades I've been a Christian, the, the pattern has been we hear the latest model from the States or from England, you know, purpose-driven or seeker-sensitive or let's do alpha, and we pull it off the shelf, we learn it in a training day, we implement it for six months or 12 months, hey, we did that. And the kind of person who is this kind of person is not going to Quran looking for something else on the shelf to try. And as you say, because they've become convinced that this is what God has called them to do, this is what the Bible is on about, this is what's going to you know, see the kingdom come today, and that's it. And that's why you know, someone comes with an idea. They're not open to, you know, they don't want to take time to listen, to go to a seminar to listen to the latest, greatest from someplace. Well, you got to make it. Because, you know, just not open to that, but you're open to what God would show you through the Word and what others who are doing what you're doing would show you so you can quickly do something better. Yeah. So that's sort of how I see it. Yeah, yeah and urges, urgencist, is that how he says it? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good term, because um, that, that's really what it's about, because lostness matters. Yeah, so then when you see the guy who says, oh, I tried T4T, you realize he not got it at all. Yeah, he probably tried it six times. Yeah. Well, like the you use the lessons. Yeah. It doesn't work. You know? yeah. And then some of the critics on the blogs are those kind of people yeah. who's, who don't really get it. Yeah. I think you've got to kind of set your gyroscope to look for that three to five generations. So it's, it's sort of like you've got that vision in mind. So everything you're doing with your interactions today are setting you up for where you want to be with this third and fifth generation. So Good. it's an expectation. I have this expectation. I'm going to get the third, I'm going to get the fourth, fifth, sixth. So therefore, what I do today takes me in that direction. Good. So, uh, I, I know that takes a bit of thinking. Because you may not know what it is you're doing today stopping you getting the third and fifth. But if you set the gyroscope, like you've got to get this gyroscope set, love the lost, and then passionately expect them to be able to do <coughs> this stuff. So expecting great-grandchildren, but urgently working towards great-grandchildren. So great, we'll just say, we're focusing on the great-grandchildren. You know, yeah. So we're going to keep it simple enough to get the great-grandchildren, which means there's got to be some good DNA. Um, so that's probably where the pragmatic side comes in, or the methodology, the process. And then what do you, if, you, if you're not getting there, what do you do? What was one of the big... You don't give up. You don't give up? What's the other thing that was in here? Because it's, it's so important. Sort of what we did this week, though. Look for what kills the CPM and change it. What kills it? Ruthlessly eva ruthless evaluation is what I love. I just ruthless evaluation of the plan, the methodology. Is there something that's missing? You know, and so I got the eye on three to five, but I'm going to ruthlessly evaluate everything between here and there, and just keep evaluate. And ruthless evaluation leads to learning. Yeah, I was going to say that's why. You know, yesterday, what we did yesterday and, and the night before um, was so helpful because to find an environment where you can do that, where somebody's not just wanting to dump their personality over everybody or wanting to make a big note of themselves, but generally wants to help you get, because, you know, like I, I've been hanging out with Tim mainly, uh, and I need that accountability because because he's able, it's like an accountant, he can look at something and see in three minutes whether the business is going to fly or not, you know, so you need that kind of input. Otherwise, you just bumble along making the same mistakes. And so finding that kind of accountability and environment for that and creating that kind of accountability is really important. You know, I can't think of anything more helpful than that. Yeah, so 
And again, we're talking at this sort of the top of the movement, so peer-to-peer -peer learning is very powerful. Now, the guy who's going into a home needs do this, do this, Listen. do this. Listen you know, to things, yeah. we're gonna we're directed right there. You know, but where we're at, we we've you've got to have that peer-to-peer -peer learning, and you're trying to figure out who's the next guy that needs the peer-to-peer -peer learning. The other one just needs get out of bed tomorrow and tell Jesus, tell somebody about Jesus. You know, so because we don't want everybody doing peer-to-peer -peer learning, that leads to confusion. You know, so mm -hmm. there's there's a bit of a there's a balance there. And you're trying to, we can sometimes get a chance, look in the Four Fields book. We wrote a thing called The Five Levels of Leadership. And it was, we took the good to great, and then we laid it over CPMs, and we just tried to evaluate it. And so level one, level two, level three, which, which essentially gets you to church, there's not, it's really highly directed. Level four and level five, you have to have peer-to-peer -peer if we're going to get to, to a movement. And then level five is people who multiply movements. And we've got to have, you know, that's down the road, but we've got to have people who multiply movements. Uh, Kumar in India multiplies movements, multiplied 13 new movements in the last three years. You know, seven years ago, he was just learning to multiply churches. Now he's learned to multiply movements. You know, so just think, down here at the beginning, directed. As you're getting up, sort of getting to the point of multiplication, then we're going to think we've got to have that peer-to-peer -peer learning. But you got to have the proper peers to be around. I think that's the important thing. Because yeah. right here is a great group of peers to be around. Yeah, it's a good, I, I don't know, I think so. Well, Chris, I'm, I'm a little, see, my idea with uh, Nathan, we, we read Good to Great, and I love the book, and then he mm -hmm. said, man, this makes a lot of sense. But anyhow, it was, it was a fun thing. This sort of pro, and again, it, was come, it came out of these meetings. Didn't come out of just. It was sitting here looking at 176 movements, which was really cool. What else? Stress. Of course, sometimes if you'd hear me talk, you'd think I was anti-prayer because I'm I'm so sick and tired of hearing pray for revival. Mm -hmm. A.W. Tozer said prayer for revival is an excuse to obedience to the gospel. <laughs> so my thing is join the movement now for obedience so that later on you don't have to repent during the revival. Movements come after, <laughs> revivals come after movements I've already started. It'll, it'll just be so, religious pride. Really. <laughs> well, C.W. Stud said the same thing. So I, I yeah. and I love Stud. He's a cool yeah. guy. So uh, C.W. Stud had, and they, and they were both men of prayer, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. But it was yeah. just they they also obedience is a shortcut to a revival. You know? I reckon this this gives you more to go to a prayer room and lie on your face about than any of those other ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you you got yeah. things that you've got to see, and and so you're not just praying in a vacuum. You're actually praying out of something. You can quote me quoting Tozer. 
I'm sure I'm in trouble. <laughs> I just say that for Dick for 37. Oh, it says, um, can these bones live, O son of man? You know, and he's told to prophesy, prophesy of the bones. He's told to prophesy twice. And the connotation of the word prophesy, the first, one time is prayer and the second time is preach. So in that revival, that vast army that stands up and is there to serve the living God has prayerful prophecy and preaching prophecy spoken over the vast army, right back in Ezekiel 37, one and the other. So we're, we're preaching to the people that are praying for revival. It's like the ask and go. Yeah. You know, pray for workers, okay, now go, you're those workers. Yep. This uh, concept called future purpose that he's just written about, and basically <coughs> it's the idea you're already living in the future reality that you're working towards. You, you mm -hmm. live and make decisions as though you're already there. Mm -hmm. So this SC lives that way mm. so some and I think some of the reason we haven't got there yet is we're not we aren't in that place mm. so you know other paradigms come in we don't look at a new believer as a potential house of peace uh, church in one sense church planter or parent of another house of peace mm. we look at a new believer as I've got a I've got to decide. I mean, we do have to do those things, but it's not in view of, I see this person as a multiplier yeah. before it happens. That's right. And I yeah. think that's uh, that's a knowing that you can't get out of a pulpit is, is, is the work of God, is the scriptures. But there's a shift where many of us haven't fully come through yet. It seems like some people are, are waiting for God to come back and do something that more. Send 144,000 to finish this, the job. This person is, <laughs> is, yeah. is convinced God's not coming back to do something more. He's told us to go. We just got to get on with it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, amen. I don't know how end times influences what we do, but then I won't go there. That's another. <laughs> another really important thing, I think, is to keep the DNA. Versus controlling a movement. Yeah, you yeah, cannot yeah, control yeah. a movement, yeah. but you have a job to protect the movement and you protect the DNA. Yeah. It's really, really important. And it's a fine line. Yeah. And, I, and I'll just give you a, a warning. Never claim a movement. You, you can't, every time I've seen missionaries claim a movement, it leads to an argument and kills a movement. Because the Holy Spirit will not be robbed of his glory <laughs> in the midst of a movement. Because he's the one that's sort of, he needs to work in this up. And, and so we're just joining him where he's at work. So yeah, very, very good. Question, what's it mean to claim a movement? We've seen missionaries say, hey, it was my methodology that did it. It was my way, you know, so here I got DBS. DBS is the reason this movement. Another guy's going, no, it was T for T. And you'll have people debate, and they get to arguing and squabbling about it, and the Holy Spirit will shut the movement down like that like you've never seen and, call, and I've seen, and I, I, to me it's the closest thing to where I've seen the Holy Spirit literally rebuke great Christian workers. But um, anyhow, I've seen it happen. And the movement died, which is the sad thing. But I think it was because they were, we were robbing God of his glory. So be really careful not to say, you know, because it, it's tempting to say, well, you know, I, I trained him, it was mine. 
you know, and all of us have a part in, you know, because you, you can even look at this. There's lots of different people that have parts in all this. Mm-hmm. And we're building on other men's foundations. Because I went to Indy, I didn't build on my foundation. I built on William Carey's foundation. I, w- I built on Thomas's foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm standing on the back of great men. Mm-hmm. And, and I just happen to be there when something happened to happen. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it's got to be the Holy Spirit. It's not. And that says something significant about God's jealousy for his glory. Oh, yeah. He's prepared to allow a movement to die, which means lost people stay lost rather than have someone else claim the glory. I mean, I find that extraordinary. That's protecting the DNA. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah I, I'm just telling you, it's experience. I've, just, I've watched it happen yeah, a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, I could tell you some really sad stories about the families mm. that came out of that. And, and I don't know if it's on in this paper, but those who lead movements will suffer. So as you do this, prepare to suffer. It may not be persecution, but you will suffer. Because uh, you're you're in the pathway, so Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But God also allows you to suffer because in your suffering, you'll be more effective at this. Your suffering opens up opportunities to minister, and that's what Paul said in Ephesians. And uh, I don't like that one though, but maybe it's I don't know if it's on there or not. But I'm pretty sure we've profiled clearly that movement leaders suffer. There's a whole chapter in the Ephesians. Okay. Yeah. 